Hey everyone, this is Megan. I wanted to drop a little trigger warning here for this awesome episode. This episode is sharing birth trauma and how to process it leading up to this person's VBAC. And we just wanted to let you know it may be traumatic listening to it and bring up past fears or feelings that you may have had from your previous birth. Dive right in though. She gets really raw and emotional and shares what she does to work through her trauma. Hello, hello. It is Wednesday and we have another amazing podcast episode for you today. This is the VBAC Link Podcast and you are with Megan, myself, and our assistant Sarah today instead of Julie. Sarah, (laughs) we're so excited that you're with us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I'm going to totally tattletale on Julie. She is normally like by the book, on time, total scheduled, like awesome, right? And I'm the one that's scatterbrained. And when we scheduled today's podcast, she forgot she had a prior commitment and is actually getting her teeth drilled right now. (laughs) So probably not having as much fun as us. (laughs) And poor Julie, send her some love over there at the dentist. But we're excited today to be recording with our friend Lexis. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than some of our other episodes. As you know, if you've been listening with us, we tend to share VBAC or CBAC stories. And today, Lexis is going to be sharing her C-section story And she's actually pregnant right now, due this year, um, and hasn't had her VBAC yet, but is preparing for her VBAC. And so we want to share today her story and what she is doing to prepare for her VBAC. But of course, before we dive into her awesome story, we want to turn the time over to Sarah to share one of our awesome reviews from uh, one of our listeners. Yes, so I have a review from Danielle Claddy. She left the review on our Google podcast, which is exciting because we don't get very many reviews on our Google podcast. She says, I have been listening to this podcast for months while I drive to work as I prepare for my VBAC in July. I recommend it to all expecting moms, including first-time moms, because I wish I knew about it before my first birth. The podcast is the reason I have hired a doula, fingers crossed restrictions are lifted, and she can come to the hospital. So exciting. It doesn't say when, let's see, July. So she would have had her baby already because she left this review in May. In May. Okay. So if you are listening still, write us and let us know how your birth went. We always love to know the follow-ups or maybe we should go be be like Julian Stalker in our community, see if she's in there and has posted. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do you know, I love that she said to, um, that she recommends it to all first time moms. That is something that I think is awesome about this podcast. It really isn't just targeted to people wanting to be back. It really is something that all birthers can listen to because we're learning in each episode ways to avoid cesarean, ways to advocate for ourselves, education and you know pieces on how to help our bodies be ready. It's just so awesome. So if you are someone, if you know someone that's pregnant or expecting or wanting to start trying, definitely send them this um, podcast because we would love to reach all the moms out there and help them achieve the birth of their dreams. Oh, 100%. I recommend this podcast to 
everyone I know, regardless of if they're first time moms or they've already had a baby and didn't have a cesarean, because there's something in every episode that someone can relate to in their birth. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the VBAClink.com. See you there. Okay, we're so excited to dive into this episode. I definitely think that there's going to be some emotion in this because as I've been reading through Lexis's story, there were some hard points in her labor and her journey and her birth, and we're excited for her to share them and to share the tips on how we can better prepare for the next birth. Lexis, we'd love to turn the time over to you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is my my very first podcast, so I'm super eager. And yeah, like you said, I'm pretty nervous about the emotions that might come up, but I'm embracing that because that's part of the journey as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so I can just get started. Uh, I was back in April. I was 40 weeks and six days pregnant with my son, Theodore, and we were getting ready to go in. It was my induction day. It was a Monday, and I went into the hospital at 8 a.m. My husband and I were like two kids going to a candy shop. We were so excited. We were smiling from ear to ear, And we really just had no idea how fast things can change and flip. And I definitely think, see, the emotions are starting already. I'm sorry. I definitely think it's something that going forward, instead of like saying that, you know, this is my plan, I'm having a lot of, you know, these are my goals for the next birth. And that has really helped put it into perspective that things can go not according to plan. (laughs) Definitely. And that's, that's such a great point. And, you know, we talk about birth plans and stuff, and I have over the years steered my clients away from calling it a birth plan or having Mm -hmm. a quote unquote plan because we know things can change. And so if we can know our preferences and try to achieve all of our goals in the process, sometimes if they do change, then that plan doesn't seem failed. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the biggest part for me. So yeah, I mean, we went in and we started the very long and really difficult 
process of induction. When they first told me about going in for my induction, I really wasn't anticipating everything that was going to happen. The first thing that they did when I got in there was, um, you know, the initial height, weight, et cetera. But then we had um, a doctor come in and say, we're going to do the Foley catheter on you. And I really wasn't thinking, but looking back on it in hindsight, that for me was so, I mean, it, it was, it was scary. It was painful. You know, I, I, I never want to scare women or moms from the process because it's so different for everyone. But, you know, I think there's something to be said that when it comes to forcing your body to do something that it's not yet ready to do, that can take a toll and it truly does. So, you know, I first got the Foley catheter and instantly, as soon as it was placed, you know, the doctors were taking off their gloves and the nurse was trying to fix the monitor and put it back on my son's heartbeat and she couldn't get it onto his heart. She couldn't find it. And the doctors were about to just walk out of the room and leave. And the nurse said, aren't you guys going to stay here for a minute? She was moving it around. And I really wasn't even thinking that it was a big deal in the moment because I just kept thinking, oh, he flipped around. You know, he's a super active baby in there. He's always kicking. He's always moving. And then, you know, I started to see the doctors look more and more at the monitor and look more not, I honestly wouldn't even say concerned. It just looked like they were almost studying it. And all of the sudden, she's moving it around and they call a condition O and the bells start going off. And my husband and I are just kind of sitting there like, well, we don't really know what a condition O is. And we're just kind of, you know, they're trying to find it. They need some backup, whatever. And then all of the sudden, you know, 20 to 30 people come rushing into the room and they're telling me to get on my side, get on my other side, get on my hands and knees, get up. And they threw an oxygen mask at me. And that's when I really knew like, oh my goodness, something is seriously wrong. And I just remember being on my hands and knees and just thinking to myself, I can't support myself. My arms are shaking. My legs are shaking. I, 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 I can't support myself. I can't do it. And, you know, I remember just looking around the room, looking for someone that could be my focal point. And, you know, my husband is great, but he was just as scared. Um, you know, we had these, this swarm of people in the room and he's pushed to the back so other people can do what they have to do. And it was just, it was that for us was a very heavy emotional moment. I start crying. I start panicking, you know, just shaking. It was, it was really heavy. And all of the sudden, I don't know how, but the heartbeat of my son came back on and it was perfect. And, you know, looking back and when I asked, they had said that only like two or three minutes had passed, but it felt like hours of that panic and not being able to comprehend what had happened in such a short amount of time. And so they said, you know, his heart rate is back. It's stabilized. He's great. And I rested myself back on the bed and I'm still shaking. I'm still, 
you know, I was in shock. I was traumatized in that moment right there. And, you know, they come in again and they say, wow, like we know that was super scary. We just want to explain to you, you know, that was a conditional. We were getting you prepped to go in for an emergency C-section. We had to get your son out right in that, in that minute. It was serious. And we started to just look at each other and look around like, oh my gosh, how is this happening? What is happening? And so they said, you know, your anxiety caused your son to go into distress in that moment. And I remember going, oh my gosh, I haven't even given birth yet and I'm already messing up. (sighs) And Hmm. so being told that your anxiety is causing your son to go into distress. I mean, how can you process that? Where, like, where's the evidence behind this? Where is, you know, how can you blame that moment on me and on the nervousness I was feeling when it just didn't make sense to me? And I just remember sitting there and kind of, you know, being told this, but feeling still so numb from everything that had happened in the last, you know, five minutes or however how long it had been in that time. You know, that's interesting too, because you're in, if, I mean, anxiety in general, like I would have anxiety in that moment, like that anxiety may, you may have been anxious going into this situation, but then you were even like the anxiousness was created right by the, by what was happening. And so it's just very interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I'm sorry that, that, that you were blamed. Yeah. And that that's exactly what it was. It felt like in that moment, there wasn't really an explanation for what had happened. So it was trying to placate or kind of, you know, say, well, this is what caused it. And, you know, it won't happen again if we just keep this in line, et cetera. So that that was definitely something that had already set me up for the feelings of going, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And they told us they told us over and over you know it was a fluke there's absolutely no reason it should happen again it was a uh, you know an incredibly rare circumstance that it would happen and that you know they suggest getting the epidural so that if something did happen i could be awake for my c section but there was no absolutely no reason to suspect that it would happen and so you know i initially had said I didn't want the epidural going into it just because it scared me, the risks and, you know, the the procedure of getting it in scared me in general. It was a scary process to think about, but I said, okay, yeah, I mean, that's something that I need to do so that I can get the most out of this experience and I can be there for the birth of my son. So I signed all of the waivers and all of the information and they came in and they started to put the epidural in. And as soon as it was placed, I knew something was wrong. I remember saying almost instantly, only one half of me is going numb. And, you know, they kept saying, well, you have to lay on your other side because the epidural and the medication works by gravity. And, you know, I've done, I've done a lot of research since that time. And I know that is, that's not, that's not correct at all. Epidurals don't work via gravity. 
So they had kept telling me, you know, you have to lay on that side, keep pushing the button, keep medicating, you know, keep switching, but stay on that side if it's still not getting the the dosage, the medication. So I said, okay, like we'll try it. And I kept laboring. And over the course of the next 10 hours that I labored, I requested from my memory four times for a provider to come in and check the placement of the epidural because I still didn't think that it was correct. My husband remembers more, but more times that I asked that is. And I remember four very vividly saying, you know, something's not right. I've been on my left side this entire time. Something's going on. So over the course of 10 hours, not a single person from the the anesthesiology team came to check on the placement of my epidural. I briefly had providers come in. I shared my concern and it was, all right, we'll pass that along. You know, when the nurses came in, I said, listen, please, can someone have someone come in and check the epidural? It's not right. And they said, well, are you pushing the button? I said, yes, I'm pushing the button. They just said, all right, we'll we'll go let them know. We'll send someone in. So 10 hours passed. That's it's it's insane to think that 10 hours passed and I wasn't properly, you know, an epidural was just in my back and not being monitored. They're supposed to be monitored. They're supposed to be checked for placement. You know, when changeovers and staffing happen, like there should be someone in there checking it and no one came. And so I labored. The Foley catheter came out when, geez, I think it was five centimeters dilated. I can't remember specifically. And then that's when they said, okay, we'll start the Pitocin and um, we'll keep you going. And I continued laboring. And then by the time it was about, I believe it was about 930 at night that they had said to me, all right, like, we're going to check you again. I was nine centimeters. I remember looking at my husband and being like, oh my gosh, we did it. Like, we're almost there. Like, look at, like, I'm doing great. We're doing great. Everything's great. Nothing scary is happening again. We're doing a good job. And they said, all right, we're going to have someone come in. We'll rupture your waters or break break your waters. And, um, Sorry, this is when it starts to get really heavy. Um, Well, I'm sorry. Um, You know, we'll have someone come in and we'll break your waters. And we think that everything will start happening very quickly. And you're going to meet your baby soon. And I remember the doctors left. And I remember looking at my husband and saying, we did it. We're here. Mm -hmm. We're going to see him soon. And we even talked about and joked, like, where can we set up our phone in the room so that we can record everything and get everything on video so that we can watch it back and we can remember this forever. And I remember saying, well, we got to call in my my OB. We have to call her. We have to tell her that I made it to nine centimeters and I did it and we're ready. And then 
everything starts to get very heavy to look back and to kind of sort through those memories. But so my OB came in, she was like, oh my gosh, you're doing awesome. Like you're doing so well, you progress so fast. Like normally first labors like can go longer. You're doing great. My waters had already been ruptured by that point. And so we were just kind of taking in the moment. And then all of a sudden my contractions were really, really close together. But I thought, well, I'm nine centimeters. That means I am probably just getting to 10 and I'll be ready to go. And then those bells that I know I'll hear for the rest of my life started going off again. And this time my husband and I knew that there was going to be a lot of people coming in but that it was a fluke and that everything was going to be fine in the next minute. And then I remember hearing over the, over the loudspeaker, you know, conditional labor and delivery room 11, conditional. And everyone came in and then they said, her contractions are too close. We have to stop the Pitocin. And so they stopped administering the Pitocin and they gave me medication to stop the contractions, but they were too strong. Um, I was about contracting every two minutes at that point. And they said, the baby's in distress. We need to fill her. Sorry. The baby's in distress. We need to fill her sack up with water again so that he has room. And I remember just feeling like, all of these people were coming at me and in and pushing these things inside of me. And, you know, I was just going, what do I do? What do I do? Just sitting there. And it wasn't working. I don't know, like if the water wasn't retaining or what happened. And so then they said, we still can't get them on the heart, on the, on the monitor. We need to attach a, a monitor to his head. And so they're, grabbing a monitor and they're trying to attach it to his head. And I just keep thinking to myself, you know, please, 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 please just find the heartbeat. Please just, everything's fine. He's going to be fine. Everything's okay. And they kept saying, you know, get on your side, get on your other side, get on your hands and knees, get up, move. And I remember trying so hard to get myself moving as fast as I could. But I had had the epidural and, you know, at nine months pregnant, I was a bigger girl. It was hard to get up in that moment and that fast as they wanted me to. And I was trying to move, trying to listen to their to their requests and instructions as, as much as I could, as fast as I could. But I just felt like I wasn't able to move fast enough. And I remember they said you know, let, let's get back on your back. And my OB looked at me and she said, Lexus, I'm so sorry. We're going to bring you in now. We got to make sure that he's okay. We're going to bring you in for a C-section now. And I remember saying, no, no, like that's not how this was supposed to go. That's not what we had planned. This is not anything that we had 
planned for or in the, I just kept saying like, no, no. And, you know, I looked up at the new anesthesiologist who was in there and I said, my epidural hasn't been working. There's something wrong with my epidural. I don't know what's going on, but only one half of me is numb. And he said, oh, you know, we'll fix that. And he pushed another dose of medication and they unhooked me. And I looked at my husband and I said, please, please come be with me. Because I was so afraid that he wasn't going to be in the room with me. And they're wheeling me down the halls. And I just remember seeing, again, you know, conditional labor and delivery, room 11, on the signs in the hallway and hearing the bells. And they get me to the delivery room. And a doctor I hadn't met came up to me and said, I'm going to take care of your baby. I'm going to make sure your baby's okay. And in that moment, I said, I'm going to die. I'm dying. I know I'm dying. And I'm never going to meet my son. And my husband needs to be here. I don't know where he is. You know, the last time I'd seen him, he he was putting on his scrubs and he was excited. And he said, I'm, I'm going to be right there. They're coming back for me. And so they wheeled me into the operating room. And I remember some of the nurses were, they were almost frustrated with me because they said, you know, get up and get yourself on the bed. And I remember going, how, you know, how was I supposed to transfer myself over to their table with an epidural, being nine months pregnant and being in a laying position, transfer myself over to another bed and so I was trying like but they actually they they actually thought you could move to the other bed by yourself yes yes that's wild they, yes they just said get up and climb over and I was like how like how how can I do this and I just remember thinking like how am I like again like how am I supposed to do this and so by the time that I finally got help moved over to be moved over, I kept saying, where's Bo? I need Bo. Bo is my husband. And I kept saying, I need Bo. Where's Bo? I'm sorry. And it kept saying, he's on his way. We're going to get him. We just have to get you set up. And they put up the blue sheet. And I said, I looked at one of the nurses and I said, please don't let my baby die. Please don't let my baby die. And I remember they pushed more medication through the, um, the IV. And they were poking my sides. And they poked my right side and asked if I felt it. And I said, no. And then they poked my left side and asked if I felt it. And I said, yes. And then they, they said other things I don't even remember. And then they tried it again. They poked my, my right side. I didn't feel anything. They poked my left side. I still felt it. And then they said, all right, and took something. It, I just remember it being so sharp. And they pushed it on my abdomen. 
And they said, do you feel this? And I said, yes. And they said, that's it. Put her under. And I remember going, what? Like, like not knowing what that even meant. And then a mask was over my face and that was it. And that was the last thing that um, I heard and experienced in that moment. Wow. So that was... Um, and had Bo made it back in there then yet? No? Nope. Nope. He was still waiting to be brought back. He was still in the room waiting. Sorry. And so my son was delivered. Very, very, you know, a healthy baby. Thank God. And he was eight pounds, two ounces, and he was born at 1028. But these are all things that I have had to be told about my son because I wasn't there and I wasn't, you know, physically I was there, but I was asleep. I wasn't taking in those moments. I didn't hear his cry. I didn't experience anything like that. Instead, I woke up two hours after he was born, and I was still so groggy and under the medication and disoriented that I couldn't open my eyes, but I just kept hearing him crying. And so, instinctually, laying in the bed, and this is something that, you know, I will again, have with me until the day that I die. Um, it was, I was laying there and screaming for help because I couldn't move my legs and get up to go get my baby. And I couldn't see him because I was so disoriented. I couldn't open my eyes and look around to see what was going on. And I just kept screaming for help. And I hear my husband and my mom saying, you know, everything's okay. He's okay. He's, he's perfect. He's here. And, you know, look, he's here. Open your eyes. Like he's right here. And finally, when I could open my eyes, I remember, you know, being the first time that I could hold him and just looking at him, I was just so not present and still so confused I I can't even think of an emotion that I felt other than just confusion. And, you know, this is, it's one of the beautiful things about, you know, that instinctual motherhood where, you know, I had just, I, I had had that C-section and I had just had a massive incision on my abdomen. But as soon as they placed him in my arms, I just started rocking back and forth. And I remember my mom saying, Lexus, like, you got to stop. Like you, you, you have a huge incision on your stomach. You have to stop. You're going to hurt yourself. But I just remember that instinctual needing to sway with him and needing to rock him and calm him down. And so that, that was for me something that was beautiful in that moment, I guess I would say, just feeling like as soon as I had him, like 
I could move, I could sway and I could be in touch with that part of me as, you know, having that identity of being a mom. But there was still a lot of pieces that I wasn't understanding or wasn't picking up. I kept having to ask my husband, like, you know, you were there, right? You saw everything, right? You got to cut his umbilical cord, right? And, you know, at the time he was like, yeah, I was there. It was crazy. It was so, like, it was so amazing. This is such an experience. And then, you know, I felt good because I felt like that was one thing I had done right. I had advocated for myself to say, you know, my husband needs to be here. Where's Bo? Bo needs to be here. And it wasn't until later, I think I'd asked him like 10 more times, he finally said, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to tell you this in the moment because I didn't want to upset you more, but I couldn't be there. And the nurses came back to tell me that I had a baby boy and that everything was okay. And he said that was, that was it. That was all my, you know, experience of that was. And so, of course, the timing just added up to be like (laughs) the perfect storm. We were in the elevator moving to the maternity side of the hospital. And, you know, I had just found this out and I was sobbing. Oh, my goodness. I was so sad and just feeling like the one thing I thought I did right, I didn't do right. And, you know. I just robbed my husband of this experience. It was his first experience becoming a dad, and I robbed him of that. So when we get to the maternity side, though, you know, what they see is a woman hysterically sobbing, and the nurses say over top to me, to my husband, you know, watch out for her, dad. She's at a greater risk for postpartum depression. It'll start with her not eating and not sleeping. And I just remember laying there and being like, am I not here right now? Uh, You're just just say Uh, this over me. Like I was just a body out for her. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I have no words. Yeah. I just remember like looking at my husband and looking back at the nurse and going, what? Like, what? You know, just not even being able to fully process it. And so that was the extent of my birth experience with Teddy. And, you know, trauma is definitely a difficult thing because it has the ability to block out certain parts and then, you know, have it pop up at random moments. But that was pretty much the the key parts that I wanted to reiterate and talk about because um, I've throughout my time studying and researching and trying to learn more and understand this through and through, I've heard of a lot of women talking about epidural issues, uh, misplacements, asking for help and not getting it. And, you know, that was something for me that I thought, how is this happening? How are so many women being ignored and not being listened to when they say and advocate for themselves in such a, like a very vulnerable, raw 
moment of giving birth, hey, this isn't right. And they're not being taken seriously. And so, you know, going forward, planning for this VBAC, I have honestly done so, so much to educate myself, to grow in ways that I didn't know were possible. I I saw uh, providers, mental health providers, mental health professionals, I'm sorry, in that specialized in perinatal mental health. And that was the most healing and therapeutic process that I could have ever, uh, I, I truly am so blessed to have found them, to have used them as a resource and to go through so much treatment with them and grow. I graduated from my my birth trauma course, cognitive processing therapy. And I, you know, just I, I couldn't believe how impactful and how meaningful that entire therapy was and how much it really you know, for lack of a better term or a phrase, it kind of, it lit a fire under me to learn, to advocate, and then to talk about it. So I, you know, I, I filed a grievance with the hospital. That was part of my process that I decided was what I needed to do within my, my CPT. And I filed the grievance and met and I had the grievance meeting with them. And I said, listen, this isn't right. What happened to me is not right. And I can almost guarantee you that it is happening to other women. And, you know, for a moment, it even crossed my mind, like, do I need to contact an attorney? Do I need to reach out to someone? But it became that aspect of if I were to contact an attorney, if I were to reach out for some type of medical negligence or medical malpractice, et cetera, I would be handed a a piece of paper that said, you know, we'll give you X amount if you don't talk about this again. And if you don't tell anyone what happened. And I sat there for a minute and just went, "What?" (laughs) I, I just went, nothing is going to come from this. Being silenced is, is going to do nothing. Oh my gosh. And, and that was with my, you know, consulting with many different, you know, professionals. It wasn't anything directly from the hospital that said, we'll give you an NDA. It was really just looking at how are medical malpractice suits handled, you know, and it's notoriously with, we'll give you some money if you just don't talk about it again. And so I decided to take the route of talking about it and researching and telling my story because it happened to me. I know it happened to me and I know it is happening to other women. And the only thing that will change from that moment, or I guess I should say really nothing is going to change what had happened during my birth, but talking about it and advocating and pushing for trauma-informed care and pushing for trauma-informed clinicians, and looking at the policies and how they are either being 
applied or not really just has been the the best and most therapeutic way of moving forward from this. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. What a heavy, what a heavy experience you've had. Yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely everything I never anticipated ever happening for sure. And that's definitely led into why, you know, I'm, I'm using a lot of goals for this pregnancy. You know, a goal of mine is for a VBAC and to reach that goal, I'm putting in the steps of studying, you know, asking my doctor what their rate of VBAC is, reaching out to other moms, listening to podcasts and really trying to take it all in, asking about hospital policies, how they go about VBACs, how they go about emergencies, conditionos, really trying to educate myself and put as much information in my pockets as I can so -hmm. that in that moment, it's almost muscle memory to know these things and to push for them and advocate for them. So I'm not scrambling at the last minute, you know? Definitely. So provider wise now, like what have you done to find the provider that's right for you now? So actually I'm, I'm still going. Or have you found one? I, it's going to sound strange enough. I'm still with the same provider that I was with for the birth of my son. Yes. You know, my provider is incredible and I firmly believe that had they been there the entire duration of my labor experience, things would have absolutely been different. You know, my provider listens, cares, knows me, has been there. And so I, I definitely think that things would have been different, but it also goes to say that there's a really strong trauma bond there. You know, this was the provider that was there during those moments where everything went from zero to 100 and performed the C-section and made sure my husband got to at least meet my son and be included in the process as much as possible. So it's definitely something that I'm still really working on. You know, is this a bond that is, I know it's a trauma bond, but it's, you know, is it anything that's going to, basically, I would be delivering in the same hospital. Yeah, I was going to say that the place itself could be, the trigger absolutely absolutely and that's something that i'm really working on and moving forward and that that goes apart with my research and asking you know talking to doctors reading about doctors what are you doing to be trauma-informed what education are you still pursuing to make sure that you're up to date on birth trauma and Mm -hmm. moving forward with the process of delivering another baby given such a heavy, heavy trauma that was experienced the first time. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a process. It's really, it's still working and I'm still trying to navigate everything and go through the motions of it all. But, you know, it's definitely something that trauma has a very, very difficult kind of 
way of manifesting itself, you know, with mm-hmm. the trauma bond and it's, 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 it's interesting and it's, it's sad and it's heavy and it's emotional and it's all of these things and it's a learning process. And so I'm still reaching out. I'm still in touch with my amazing psychologist and birth trauma therapist and working through all of these things and trying to figure out what's the best course of action moving forward. But yeah, it's a process. And I have some time, thankfully. So yeah, yeah, you've got a few months. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for, for doing all this and working through this. And, you know, it's a really hard experience to want to touch and go back on, you know, like to reflect back on, I think a lot of the times we as human beings, we process our trauma by avoiding it um, and pushing it away and and compressing it down. And you are bringing it back to light and even walking through the same doors um, to fight through this trauma. And so, yeah, kudos for sure to you. And wow, just thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. It definitely sounds like you were mistreated and it's not fair and it's not right. And I hope that this next experience is very different and uplifting and healing in a whole itself. What other tips before we wrap up would you feel that parents out there need to know that maybe have gone through trauma similar or maybe who haven't even had trauma or haven't even had a baby yet to avoid trauma or recognizing if you're if you're going is it even possible to really recognize if you're going into a traumatic state like in the moment like I don't know I actually don't know the answer of that yeah no I I think it's definitely something that hindsight is always going to be 2020 hindsight is always going to show you you know in those moments when my arms were trembling and I couldn't process what was going on like I was in a state of shock and I was going through that trauma and, you know, moving forward, you know, speaking for, to people that haven't experienced trauma, you know, in any type of way or, or, you know, haven't experienced it is to just have grace with yourself for not recognizing it in that moment because it is hard. And when you're going through a traumatic experience, there's so many other things going on that it's almost it's almost impossible to be able to say i think i'm being traumatized right now so you know moving forward if you find yourself not experiencing trauma and then all of a sudden you're in treatment for trauma or etc just to have grace with yourself for not recognizing it in that moment you know i'm going to school for counseling psychology. I'm going to school for all of these things. I've been in school for years for this. And I still in that moment had no idea what was going on or what was happening with me. So it's just kind of looking at be patient and give yourself the the grace moving forward and then really trying to figure out how to process it. And that's, I guess, my tip for having experienced birth trauma 
I'm very, very grateful for the resource that I had at my fingertips being here in Pittsburgh, um, the Alexis Joy Clinic. It absolutely, the Alexis Joy Center for Perinatal Mental Health is the full title. I am so very blessed to have had professionals in perinatal mental health and professionals that have dedicated their careers to learning about birth trauma, experiences during birth, working through all of the motions that really, I knew I was in the right place as soon as I started seeing someone. It was exactly where I needed to be. But unfortunately, it's hard to find centers like that nationwide. You know what I mean? Like we in America, we're definitely behind. We're not up to date on perinatal mental health. And it's flabbergasting to me that we aren't up to date on this and we aren't as educated, but you know, that's also why I talk. That's why I advocate because more people need to be specialized in this and know how to handle it properly and in a therapeutic matter. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be my, my biggest tip going forward and to also encourage partners to seek out care and to seek out trauma counseling or perinatal uh, resources for for partners as well because they're going through something at the same time as you are. It's different. Yes, you know, it's different being the person laying there and the person standing over there, but it's all the while it's still very, it's, you know, trauma can impact and does impact everyone in different ways. So just encouraging families and parents to reach out to specialized providers to do some research on to where they can go and knowing that there is a resource for them, knowing that there is always and will be a place that they can go and get the help that they need. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that your words will inspire and empower people out there who are, like I said, either maybe facing trauma or wanting to avoid trauma and want to know how to work through these um, avenues. So thank you so much again for sharing your story. We hope to make this a two-segment episode, the second one being your second birth. We'd love to share that. Um, So definitely keep us posted and Um, We're sending you all the love and luck for this next birth. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to find therapeutic healing in any and all way that I can. And for listening, it means so much to me. (laughs) Absolutely. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.